Ah, uh, that's what we needed today. Coming right out of the coming right out of the congregation, coming right out of the audience, because that's where it's got to come from. This business of the kingdom is not about a whole bunch of upfront people that are going to somehow figure out, figure out a way to pull it pull it to a conclusion. Impossible. It'll have to come out of the pews. I think that's the flat, first flash mob we've ever had in the Pioneer Memorial Church. <laughs> they did well, very well. Yeah, let's pray. Oh God, we are the hands, your hands. We are your feet. It's not about up front. And in the back, it's all of us. Oh, let that be clear. Let that be clear in these twin vintage tales. Right now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know what a rhetorical question is? Of course, you know what a rhetorical question is. It has the answer embedded in it, and it assumes you do not expect an answer. Is the Pope Catholic? Yeah, no, we, we know. Or in the words of the uh, poet Percy Bysshe Shelley, if winter comes, can spring be far behind? <laughs> yep. Writers and speakers use rhetorical questions to somehow highlight the point they're trying to drive through. Paul was no exception. Here's a rhetorical question he once asked, and nobody even remembers it. I bet you you never even read it. Let's put it on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Paul, rhetorical question. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Nobody. Why? Because vineyards are hard work. They're not easy-peasy flower gardens. Are you kidding? If you plant a vineyard, you have one solitary mission, and that is to harvest G-R-A-P-E-S. Let me repeat that. If you plant a vineyard, you have one solitary mission, and that is to harvest G-R-A-P-E-S. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He has one solitary mission, and that is to harvest in you G-R-A-P-E-S, or through you. So when we end with these twin vintage tales, one of them's strange. I got to admit it. I like the other one better. But when we end with these vintage tales, they're making that's a precise that's precisely the point they're making. They're both from the book of Matthew. In fact, they're only in the book of Matthew. Must be a big deal because they happen in the week of his execution. He saves the best till last. Let's go to vintage tale number 1. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 21. Vintage tale number 1. And by the way, put the title uh, slide on the screen please because vintage. You know what vintage means, of course. Vintage is the harvest of the vineyard. It's grapes. That's what it means. It's harvest. Vintage tales. Two last stories, one final truth. Because Jesus is all about harvest. You remember Jesus once? Where, where was this? Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. The harvest is plentiful. How's that go? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers. Isn't that, uh, isn't that what he said? He's big on the vintage. Let's go. This is vintage tale number one, Matthew chapter 21. Sitting here talking and don't even have it myself. Matthew chapter 21. I'm in the NIV. He's just been accosted by the, the Pharisees, the elders, the hierarchy of the church, always after anybody that's not in line with their particular persuasion. They're nailing the young man who cleansed, cleaned the clock of the temple yesterday. That would be Monday. Today's Tuesday morning. They jump him. He's ready, and Jesus speaks. Okay, he asks them a question. Verse 28, Matthew 21, 28. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. 
He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. Later, he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son and he said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Then Christ asked the question, now, which of the two did what his father wanted? Once upon a time, there was a father. He had two boys. Both children have the same father. Both children live in the same household. Both children live near the same vineyard. And both end up lying to their dad. In fact, David Redding calls them identical twins in deceitfulness. Both are lying. I will not go. One lied, but later changed his mind and went. I will go. One lied and never went. Now, which one of the children did what their father wanted? Hmm. Well, let's see. Let's see how it gets answered here. Go back to verse 31 again. Which of the two did what his father wanted? And of course, the Pharisees, drawn into that sharp little tail, can't help themselves and respond and nail themselves. The Pharisees cry out, the first, they answered. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. You were talking about the scum. I mean, in the eyes of the Pharisee, these are the, these are the moral they are the moral scum of society for which Pharisees, scribes, and elders have zero time. I'm telling you what, they're in the kingdom ahead of you. Truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John, that would be John the Baptist, came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes, they believed him. And even after you saw that they were believing him, you did not repent. You did not believe. Yeah, you're right. Tax collectors and prostitutes, God comes to them and says, hey, I want you, I want you to be in my kingdom. No, I'm not going to your kingdom. I, I love what I'm doing. But through the mighty preaching of that thundering wilderness prophet, the Holy Spirit convicts them, and by the droves, they respond to the appeal, and they enter the kingdom. Whereas those who walk around saying, yeah, I'll go, yeah, of course, I'm already in, God, they refuse entry. So which one of the two? Which one of the two did the will of the Father, did what the Father wanted? Are we the second son or are we the first son? Come on, you tell me. Are we the second? You, are you the first son or the second son? Let's change this around a little. Would that be all right? Let's tweak a few words in the parable. It's in your study guide. There's a study guide that you got tucked away in that worship bowl. Nothing to fill in. But we'll put it on the screen. Let's read the parable with a slight adjustment. There was a father who had two congregations. He went to the first congregation and he said, my people, go and work today in my vineyard. We will not, the congregation retorted. But later they changed their mind and went to work in their father's vineyard. Why? Because they wanted to harvest, harvest G-R-A-P-E-S, the vintage. Then the father went to the other congregation and said the same thing. My people go and work today in my vineyard. And the con congregation responded, we will, Lord. But they did not go and work in their father's vineyard. So which of the two congregations did what their father wanted? The end. Hmm? Which one? It's a good and fair question, I suppose. After all, it's quite clear that to Western sensibilities, congregations in this culture, we just don't do evangelism. You can't do it in our culture. You can't go out into the vineyard and make this big fuss about getting people that are lost out there and bringing them into the church. No. That's what you do in South America. That's what you do in Inner America. That's what you do in Africa. That's what you do in Asia. But you don't do it in the West. No, 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 no. We're not going to do it. No, we're not going to do it. 
But that congregation got to thinking sometime later. You know, we've tried everything else, but it doesn't seem to work. The church is not growing. What should we do? I wonder, they asked each other, maybe we don't have anything to lose to move into public evangelism. What if we join with the Father in His mission to move out into the vineyard and seek and save the lost? We've tried everything else. Look at the church. It's still not growing. And that congregation reversed themselves. We got to get out of these sterile brick walls. We need to get out into the vineyard around us. They went. But there were two congregations. Jesus tells us. And the second congregation, when they heard the idea, like the plan that God voted, said, count on us. We believe in that strategy. Get out into the vineyard. But the problem was, amen, yes, Lord, at your service resulted in nobody going into God's vineyard. Not the congregation, not the pastor, nobody. Oh, sure, they kept having church. They kept finding reasons to have the lights on once a week inside their building, but in the vineyard, uh uh-uh, nobody. Solitary mission of the organization that they were a part of is to harvest G-R-A-P-E-S, but nobody's harvesting G-R-A-P-E-S. They're just huddling together once a week, high-fiving the glory of their music and the inspiration of their preaching, and that's it. My. No grapes, no growth, no go. So which congregation would we be? I told you, this isn't a real comfortable uh, vintage tale. I like the other one better. Let's do the other one. Vintage tale number two. Once upon a time, there was a landowner with a very sprawling vineyard. We're talking humongous. And on the day before, he went out in the afternoon, and the smell of concords in the air. Tomorrow it is, informed his foreman, and long before 6 o'clock in the morning, the foreman is up, jumps into that rusty, trusty pick-em-up truck, races up and down the hilly country into town from miles away. You can see the dust of his hurry. Before 6 o'clock, he arrives at that street corner. There they are, the migrant workers, some legal, some not legal. Hey, guys, you want to work today? Rhetorical question. Do you want to work today? I'll pay you what's fair, a day's wage. Get in. Let's go. Boom. They're gone. Racing out, racing out to the sprawling vineyards, 6 a.m. workers. They begin. Oh, I love this story. 9 o'clock, the same foreman walks out there and he says, hmm, 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 we're not going to be able to do it with this bunch. I, I better go and get some more. Jumped into that same old rusty, dusty pick-em-up truck and into town. There they are, same street corner, just before 9. Yo, you boys want to work? Girls, come on, let's go. I'll pay you what's fair. They, they get in and out there they go. Fresh arms now joining the picking. The vintage is being harvested. Around noon, the same foreman walks out up and down those aisles, and amidst all the chatter of the workers working together and yelling at each other, he, he does the arithmetic. This isn't going to work. Twelve o'clock, he goes back. You know the drill now. Same corner. There they are, still not hired. Yo, you guys want to work? Rhetorical question. Get in my pick em, pick em up truck. Let's go. And they go. Fresh hands now join. Three o'clock in the afternoon. Measuring the distance from the sun 
to the horizon because nobody works in the dark in a land that has no electricity. Three o'clock in the afternoon. We've got to get more. Back in the same old beat-up truck. Hey, guys, I see you. Come on. Let's go. They jump in. And now fresh three o'clock in the afternoon. Hands are joining and everybody is scrambling. We're going to get the harvest today. But at five o'clock, that same foreman walks out. Oh, this is not good. I'm going to have to have more workers. Back in the truck. Hey, why are you guys still sitting here? Because nobody's hired us. I'll hire you and I'll pay you what's fair. Let's go. They jump in. And in the last hour, the 11th hour, they got it done. They got the harvest in. After everybody's high-fiving and looking at that barn filled with vintage, the landowner walks out and he says to the foreman, hey, listen, nice job today. I want you to start with the guys who came last, okay? You start with them and pay them and then pay everybody else, okay? So that's exactly what happens. They come up, and when they see 12 hours worth of pay, their eyes pop out of their heads. They cannot believe it. And the guys in the back, the guys in the back, did you, did you, did you see that? Wait till we get up to the front. They get up to the front in the cash box, and guess what? 12 hours of pay. Yo, wait a time out. And the place erupts in anger. Let's let, let's let Jesus pick it up. Just turn one page back from Matthew 21. Now you're in Matthew 20. Jesus picks it up, the story right here, verse 11. And when they, the 12-hour workers, received their wages, they began to grumble against the landowner. Verse 12, these who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, hey, yo, yo, calm down, calm down. I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a day's wage? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Oh, I love that line. Are you envious? Put it up. Because I am generous. Don't you just love this portrayal of God? I am generous with sinners. I take people that others wouldn't take. I am generous with laborers. I take people that others wouldn't take. I am generous with workers. I'll take them to the very last minute if they'll join my team. I, are you jealous because I am generous? Come on. We got room for more. Get on. Jump in. I need all hands on deck. And did you notice, by the way, that when, when the uh, foreman is hiring, there is not a word about age. Okay. Hold it up. How old are you? Okay, we'll take it. There's not a word about race. Yo, what's your ethnicity? Okay, we'll take you. There's not a word about gender. Are you woman or are you man? We can only take one. Not a word. There's not a word about ability. Ah, no, 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 no. You don't have the ability. I'm awfully sorry. The generous landowner is living under the proposition that it's all hands on deck in the 11th hour. Everybody gets to work. Nobody's excluded. Nobody's left out. Nobody's categorized and saying, you'll stay over here. Nobody is withheld the joy of being part of a team and even leading a team that is bringing in the vintage. Nobody is held out. Oh, I love. Or, or, are you, or, or are you 
jealous? Are you envious that I am generous? I love the picture of the Father in this story. It's the 11th hour, folks. I'm taking everybody. And by the way, do you notice notice this about the Father being as generous as He is? He is not looking for an excuse to keep people out. He's always looking for an excuse to bring people in. That's just the way He is. He's not finding a way for some to not serve. He's always looking looking for a way to have everyone serve. Or are you, are, are, you, are you envious that I'm generous? I've widened, I've widened what, you're, what, what, what you are apparently not happy with? Are you envious that I am generous? <laughs> wow. The, 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 the reality is the issue in both of these vintage tales is not about the Father's help. It's not about the Father's hire. It's about the Father's heart. That's the, that's the truth of the two vintage tales. What kind of Father do we have? It's all about His heart. Because you know why? I'll put this on the screen for you. I need you to get this. Because if we have the Father's heart, we will work the Father's harvest. That's just the way it works. If we have the Father's heart, we will work the Father's harvest. And what kind of heart does the Father have? Are you kidding? You don't know? I mean, in another gospel, like, which one was it? Who can remember? Didn't Jesus once tell a story about a lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost boy? And is it coincidental that in every one of those stories, they all end with this jubilant, noisy celebration? Why? Because the lost has been found. Apparently, when Jesus says there is more joy in heaven over the one lost found sinner than the 99 unlost, unworking in the vineyard, unwilling to evangelize, save people, he's saying something pretty big. We get more joy out of harvesting lost than rototilling the saved. We're getting kind of tired of rototilling the saved, always having to turn the ground over just to keep them happy. Give me some more of that. Just, just keep us happy, and you'll be okay in this church, this congregation. Wow. If we have the Father's heart, apparently we will work in the Father's harvest. Or are you envious that I'm generous? I wish, I wish I could go to Google right now. I should have thought about this this last week. I wish I could have gone to Google this last week and I I could have said to Google, look, 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 Google, find me that picture. I got to have that picture. I want everybody here to see it on this big screen and I wish we could make this a panoramic screen so that you could see the picture because Google, if we can see this picture, we might know why there's so much joy in the Father's heart over even one that returns to Him or comes to Him for the first time. I could have found a picture. All we have, as far as I know, is a word picture, and I need to end with you looking in the back of your Bible to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 7. Here's a word picture for you. We can't put it up on a Google screen. We can't find a copy of it anywhere, but boy, oh boy, this is John Boy who's become old man John on the Isle of Patmos, and he's shown the picture. He's shown the picture, so he's seen it. I wish we could see it, too. Uh, This is Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. This is a picture of heaven. 
I love this. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, and after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Now, the Greek word there for count is arithmesi, from whence comes our English word arithmetic. So I saw a crowd so big that nobody could punch the numbers, nobody could calculate, do the arithmetic on how many people are standing in front of me right now in this picture. It's just they, they are innumerable. Do you know who they are? They're all lost people who got saved. Wow. Who are, where are they from? Oh, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They're wearing white robes, are holding palm branches in their hands, and they're crying out in a loud voice in this picture, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, our Father and our Savior. Keep reading. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they all fall down on their faces before the throne, and they worship God, and they cry out, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength to, be our, to, to our God forever and ever. Amen. A sevenfold doxology of joy. <laughs> Are you kidding? The Father of us all, the Savior of us all, the Holy Spirit, friend of us all, they have been waiting millennia for this moment. Don't you suppose, don't you suppose there will be a wild celebration on those streets of gold one day? The lost, our lost children have come home. Here's a question for you. How many of, how many of those people will be in that picture one day because of you. I want you to think about that. How many of those people will be in the picture one day because of you, because of me? Or did we spend our energy serving the church or attending the church or being part of the church with that which brought not a single soul home? How many? For you, Dwight. Who? Did you have to ask? Bruce Wilkinson takes this moment, this picture, and you have the words in your study guide. This is a great quotation. Put it on the screen for you as well. Bruce Wilkinson. God has shown us, you see it on the screen, God has shown us how our story ends with countless people from every nation on earth crying out joyfully to God. We just saw the picture. That's how the story ends, with heaven packed. There's so many there, they can't even count them. Or are you envious that I am generous? It turns out he may be a whole lot more generous than we are, letting people in that we have said, no, you can't join us there. Ooh. What part of that throng, what part of that throng, Wilkinson asks, is there because of you? Well, we've already been thinking of that, haven't we? How many people can you and I help God save? Wilkinson goes on. Next question. What part of God's dream is linked to your destiny? Now, we got some young dreamers here working on a career, getting their education. I don't know where you're, what you're going into. doesn't matter to me. matters only to the Father and you. But whatever it is, your destiny, whatever the dream is that you're pursuing, what part of your dream is going to add to the number of people in that picture? Because you were born for a reason. You got saved for a cause. It's to harvest the vineyard. 
Well, Dwight, I'm going into it because it's a cushy career, and I really think I'm going to be able to relax rather early in my young life. Come on. You can't be serious. You got a destiny. How does your destiny attach to God's destiny? You say, Dwight, well, I'm already into my career. <laughs> Man, I tell you what. No, no, no. Your career right now, the one you're in. What part of your career is enabling you to join the Father in the vintage harvest? You say, oh, do I? <laughs> I've already retired, so I'm out of that picture. You, you, out of the picture? You crazy? You're the one that has all the time now, right? <laughs> Come on. There's not a time in life when you are released. From the reason you were born, you were born for this. You were born to grow the number of people in that picture. That's why you love Jesus. That's why you serve him. And that's why he says, I need you. He doesn't need you to occupy a pew. He needs you to be somewhere where you're with lost people and you're pointing them to the Savior. Wilkinson, what part of God's dream is linked to your destiny? Just think what a difference you could make in many, many lives if you were to pray passionately and faithfully for enlarged territory from God, for God in his vineyard. Imagine the miraculous divine partnership that will grow out of your plea. Oh, God, let me accomplish more for you. Get, I, I want to do more than I'm... Please, God, let me accomplish more for you. And the, the final line is the stinger. This is the keeper right here. With his infinite ability and your willing availability, God can literally do anything, anything on this planet. He can do it through you. You don't need a professional evangelist. You don't need a professional pastor. You don't need nothing but a heart. That's like God's. If you have the heart of the Father, you will work the harvest of the Father. You can't have his heart and not work the harvest. The only reason I'm not working the harvest is because I don't have his heart. That's the only reason. If I had his heart, I'd be working the harvest. You want the Father's heart? Let me end with five steps to having the Father's heart. We'll end with these. One, two, three, four, five. Here they go. They're in, their, in, your, in your study guide. You can take them home and brood over them. Number one, kneel at the foot of the cross in your mind's eye. So wherever you're going to go for this, go at the, be at the foot of the cross. You're picturing the cross in front of you. Number two, look up into your Savior's face and remember the truth. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Okay? Number three, pray for the Holy Spirit. Well, why should I pray for the Holy Spirit? I'll put a quotation on the screen for you. You've got it in your study guide. This is dynamite. Are you using all your powers? Words written a hundred years ago. Are you using all your powers in an effort to bring the lost sheep back to the fold? There are thousands upon thousands in ignorance who might be warned. Here it comes. Pray as you have never prayed before for the power of Christ. And then the clincher is the last sentence. Here it is. Pray for the inspiration of his spirit that you may be filled with a desire to save those who are perishing. It's called the daily baptism of the spirit. Just ask for it every day. Pray for the inspiration. Ah, number four, ask the Spirit to send you to someone today. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I'm going out, this, out of this dormitory room. I'm going out of my, my home in the community. I need somebody today. Send me to somebody. Send somebody to me and impress me when I'm in that moment because I'm not going to make a fool of myself. Just ask it. Point it out to me. And finally, number five, go. 
And when you go, stay in the vineyard. Stay there. Don't, you don't come home at night. You never leave the vineyard. Not in your mind, not in your heart. You're always in the vineyard. Stay in the vineyard and work with the Father until the harvest is finished. That's it. You'll have the Father's heart. I'm not worried at all. Five simple steps how to have the Father's heart so that I live with that heart in the vineyard that is all swirling around me right now. Pray for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that you may be filled with a desire to save those who are perishing. That's it. Because look, if we have the Father's heart, we will work the Father's harvest. It's a no-brainer. So I say, I say, let's ask God for His heart. What do you say? Pardon me? That was a little weak. I don't want to get to the end of this and that. Let's try it one more time. I say, let's ask the Father for His heart. What do you say? Amen. Amen. We're not playing tiddlywings here. We're not tickling each other so that we can go home and then get back to life as usual. We come to meet Christ and in meeting Him, ask Him to change us into His likeness. Amen.